Good morning. Hi, my name is Amber. I like that everybody's like sitting towards the front. Um, I am on the volunteer staff here at Dwell. I am not a pastor, but I will be uh, doing a talk for you this morning. First of all, happy opening day to the football fans. I'm from North Carolina, so go Panthers. Uh, we take Jesus and football pretty seriously here at this church, I think. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and congratulations to the Packers. They are undefeated, apparently. Um, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. Uh, I think it's been really difficult for me to do this talk and, like, plan it out. Last time it was super easy for me, but even this morning as I was getting ready, I could hear the enemy just saying, you shouldn't be speaking this morning. You're not worthy to speak this morning. You should have changed your message. It's the wrong message. And so um, as I was getting ready... I was starting to believe that, and then I kind of looked in the mirror and thought, like, that's the enemy. And I think we've talked about in this church before listening to the voices and, like, knowing which voices are true and which aren't. And that's something that I've really struggled with this week. So thank you for letting me speak. Uh, a topic that's come to my mind over and over as I was preparing for this is leadership, and specifically servant leadership, as Jesus calls us to do. And I think being a leader is a subject right now that's like pretty hot in today's culture. We're having TED Talks and conferences and trainings uh, all over the world on this. And this morning, I want to talk to you about being a leader in a little bit of a different way, because we're not all managers in this church. Um, I want to talk about a leadership interchangeably with influence, because I think while we might not all be leaders positionally, we do have a big influence, and influence is defined as the capacity to have an effect on the character. And we all live in spaces where we have influence, whether it's in your workplace, your group of friends, your family, your neighbors, your str even strangers. And I also want to use the word influence because of its direct correlation to relationships. And I believe everything God does is in the context of relationships. And Jesus calls us to influence and use the influence we have to empower others. I've recently been reading two books on leadership, so I hope I don't lose you. I'm using leadership and influence at the same time. Um, two books, though. Simon Sinek wrote a book called Leaders Eat Last. I loved it. And also Tyler Reagan, which is a Christian uh, author, author. <laughs> uh, and he wrote The Life-Giving Leader. And so both have the same theme, though, which is to be a good leader, you have to be a person of influence. You've got to be really good to people, and they have to be able to trust you. And so I started to think about, um, especially in my career, what it's like to be a Christian and have influence over people. Um, because as believers, we are the example to Christ. And I think, you know, I think we've all probably worked for people that have claimed to be believers and their style uh, is anything but that. Or even we've been in classes where maybe our teacher claimed to be that, and uh, the style is definitely not that. So in thinking about that, really wanted to put it together today for us in a couple of ways. So the first thing that I was just thinking about is in Joshua 24, 17, he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And this morning as I woke up and as the enemy was talking to me, honestly, like the whole morning, uh, I was reading the sermon one more time, and I was just thinking, like, I have to choose who I'm going to serve today. And this is more of a call to serve God in the context that it was written, but I think also in the morning when we get up and we ask ourselves, who will we choose to serve today? We're not only choosing for us, but you're choosing for the people that you are serving on a day-to-day -day basis, whether that's your children, your coworkers, your friends. 
And if we're choosing God for our lives, we will also be choosing his way um, for the people that we're influencing. And servant leadership is not an option for believers. And Jesus said that very clearly. It's the only way that we must serve. So this morning will be more like a TED talk than a church talk. Um, But I think as the world tries to influence us more and more, it's important to take a pulse now on how are we as believers influencing and leading. So follow me this morning as I talk about a time I was humbled in the workplace. I'm going to unveil the question everybody wants to know, which is why does the Starbucks barista never get my name right? I'm going to talk about Syria, an ex-gang member, four behaviors for servant leadership, and then I'm going to give a call to action. So stay with me, buckle up. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, Oh, let's pray first. (laughs) It's pretty important. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, just the opportunity to be able to speak today, and thank you for speaking your word over me. Thank you for um, just this church family and the time that we've had together um, that has taught us these things that we have sometimes in our head when the enemy is trying to tell us everything negative, Lord, that we can look back to the times that we've spoken together, that you've spoken your truth into us, that we know um, who we are and we are yours. And Jesus, we do love you so much, and I pray for this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, in 2011, I moved to Germany. I was with a highly successful retail company back then. Um, It was called Abercrombie & Fitch. And I worked there for about 13 years. So I was there forever. And I had a really promising, I guess it was a good, international career. So I moved to Germany and I was told, hey, if you go to Germany, you're going to come back to the United States and you're going to be a regional manager. And for me, that meant a lot more responsibility, and that's exactly what success looked like to me back then. I wanted more. I wanted more power, more stores, more people, and more influence. So 2014 came around. I was living in Germany, and it was time for me to be back to the U.S. And the retail climate, as we all know, changed drastically over that time and a little bit before. And what I was told is like, hey, you can go back to the U.S., and you can go back to the job that you had before. And I was like, no. Like, that's not why I moved my whole life to come to Germany. Um, And I felt really sad because it's a company that I'd given a lot of time to, and then I felt like, wow. You know, they just, they promised, they dangled the carrot, and then um, it was a no-go when it was time for it to actually happen. And so I decided to leave Abercrombie, and I felt really disappointed in myself because I felt like, hey, I did something wrong. And, and at the same time, I felt like I did everything right that they had asked me to do, and they still didn't have a spot for me like they had promised. And so I thought, like, what could I have done better? And kind of my ego fell apart because Abercrombie was a lot of my identity. Um, I'd been there forever, and I felt like my self-worth was just shot. And so when I left Abercrombie, I went to Starbucks. Um, And I love Starbucks. It's a great company. And I was hired as a district manager there. But before I could start my job, I had to work through every position in the store that I would manage. And that started from barista to store manager. And so I started as a barista at 34 years old in El Segundo. And y'all, that job is hard. Like, hard. 
and you're sweating and running around and you're having to remember a million recipes and modifications and people are yelling at you, your coworkers are yelling they need more ice and there's three blenders and two ovens beeping and two milk steamers going. And that's the reason nobody can get your name right because they can't hear you, I promise. So to be completely honest, the training process for that job humbled me big time. I came back from being one of only 20 district managers at Abercrombie that was a senior district manager, that was my title, out of 250 people, to being brand new as a barista in a company where I knew nothing, in an industry where I knew nothing about. I got in the way of myself learning because in my head I thought, this isn't my job. I knew that it was a job I needed to understand, but I definitely didn't like the job very much. And I wasn't very good at it. I lost confidence in the start because I wasn't able to really open up myself to learn from somebody else. And it took a really long time to make up the things that I lost in training because I let my ego get in front of everything else. And I was lucky to work for a great leader and a bunch of great leaders that surrounded me who helped me um, by using their experience and their influence with me. And they really taught me at Starbucks uh, what true influence means. They've impacted my character in many ways. Uh, I did not hone my barista skills, though, that is for sure. Um, but I think looking back at, at that time, I defined success so much differently in 2014 than I do now. I was looking at titles and power, and I just wanted to be in charge. And honestly, I felt like I should be in charge because I had given my dues. And so at Starbucks, I learned what it looks like to have people in your life that just care for you genuinely and that can influence you positively and who can see you more for what you can even see for yourself. And not somebody that wants to treat me as just a number. And I think a lot of times as we work for employers, um, especially sometimes we're treated as numbers. And so something that I wanted to share with you guys this morning was something that I got from the book um, Leaders Eat Last. So I think if you're leading as a group, you can totally understand being treated as a number if you're the leader. Because sometimes you don't feel like you have time for one more phone call or email or text message or a conversation, which is the worst of like, hey, I need to talk to you. And I always immediately am like, are you quitting? Because that's like the biggest fear in the retail and food beverage industry. Um, but on the flip side, when you're the one needing the time, it can feel really discouraging when your leader doesn't have time or doesn't make time for you. Or even in the relationship, your friend doesn't have time or doesn't make time for you. And so I have a very interesting fact that we have to be careful about in our day-to-day -day interactions with people. And that's not treating people like numbers. And I think like even if you have a lot of friends or even if you have a lot of coworkers, you have to be careful not to just treat them as they're disposable, and I think we do that a lot of times. There's a guy named Joseph Stalin, and he was a general in the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And he said the death of one man is a tragedy, and the death of a million is a statistic. He has been said to be responsible for millions of deaths, but he was right about how we perceived numbers and people. And so I wanted to share these two stories with you because when I read this, I was like, whoa. So story number one is about Syria, and I will paraphrase. The country of Syria has been torn apart for what basically is a civil war. The estimate for deaths in 2018 for the Syrian, oh, by the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights 
says that 511,000 people have died and 6.6 million have been displaced. Many of the deaths were innocent civilians, men, women, and children. And I know that we've all seen the images from that. Story number two that I have for you this morning is a 19-year-old ex-gang member got a job at Starbucks. And he'd been in the gang since he was 14 and um, had recently had a son. He was 19 at the time. And had decided to start a different life for himself. Had given up the gang life and started working at Starbucks. He was really reserved at first, super soft-spoken, a little bit out of place and awkward, um, which was very interesting to think about. What do you think about a gang member? And then you put him behind the register at Starbucks, and it's, uh, it's different. Um, but he began to make really good relationships, and I think he started to dream for himself, which was awesome. And he was really proud of himself, too. And we were proud of him. And one night in November, three days before his birthday, he was shot in the head outside of his house. He had gotten off work, was getting out of his car, and somebody drove by and fired a round of shots. His mother and son were standing at the door uh, waiting for him to get in, and they saw the whole thing. His mom raced outside to find that her son was dead outside of his car. Now, thinking about those two stories, which one evoked a stronger feeling for you? I think most of you will say number two. Because when we use numbers to represent people, they kind of lose their connection to the person. And we can use this in all types of situations, not just the extreme ones that I just used. And that is why when we have influence, it's really important to know and understand that it's a person-by-person person and relationship-by-relationship. Relationship. So they you know, come, become a number that we can continue to empathize with them and create strong and safe relationships. We want to think about the people that we interact with as sons and daughters of Christ. They are his creation, and we're entrusted with them. And so this morning, I would also like to look at four behaviors that can change the way that we influence others, thus empowering them to be their best selves, all the while allowing Jesus to pour into us and then to them. So the first thing I'm going to talk about this morning, there's four S's. I'm sorry, I do not have slides. Um, but the first one is serving others. So we have a choice, like I said this morning, to choose daily to serve people in the same way that Jesus served us. There are many examples in the Bible of Jesus elevating others through service, where he's putting himself last. And I think his death is the ultimate example of that to us. This is a very stark difference in how the world teaches us that we should lead. So I'm going to look into the book of Matthew for a few examples. In chapter number 19, Jesus gets really upset with the disciples because the children are coming to him, and, he, and the disciples say, like, no, get back. And they don't let the children come to them because they're, not, because they're mean. They're not letting the children come because they think they're trying to protect Jesus. They're trying to protect his time. However, over and over we see when Jesus saw immediate need, he gave an immediate response of compassion, and he pulled it from the inside out. As people of influence, Jesus wants us to serve with him. This requires a shift in our thinking from send them away, I don't have time, to bring them in. 
In Matthew 20, Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and his disciples, he says to them in verse 17, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the high priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised up. He's discussing his own death here. And then James and John's mom come in and and she says, hey, I need to make a request. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing here. I need to make a request that my son sit at the right and the left hand of you. They need to be in positions of power. So in the middle of Jesus saying, like, hey, I'm getting ready to be crucified, she's saying, yeah, but I have, like, one request before you go. So two grown men had asked their mom to ask Jesus if if they could sit at his right and left hand. Because they wanted power. They wanted to set themselves apart from the other disciples. And initially reading this, I was like, gosh, like, what are they even thinking? You know, like, they sent their mom to ask. But then I thought, like, oh, I've totally been James and John. Totally. Because I wanted to have their respect and be regarded with someone of power. And sometimes I didn't always want to have to earn it. The other disciples were furious. And Jesus said to them this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so over you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you would be your slave. Even as the Son of Man come, not to be served, but serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is mandating here, not just suggesting, but mandating that we lead differently as believers than what we see in the world. After serving, the second part is sacrifice. So the second behavior. Once I heard a pastor give a sermon, he actually used to preach here, on leadership, and he had a diagram of laying down your rights as a leader. And he said, the higher up you go in position, the more you have to sacrifice. And I think a lot of times we think the opposite. We think, oh, the the higher I go, the less power or the less sacrifices that I'll have to make, which is absolutely not true. One thing we have to be willing to sacrifice is our pride. I think when things go wrong, you have two different choices. You can accept the responsibility or you can completely blame your team. Jesus said we should take the responsibility. And if everything's going right, we should give the praise away. And this should be a normal part of our influence as Christians, making sacrifices for people. And it's a really stark contrast also to the way the world says we should be. And as Ricky Bobby from Talladega Night says, if you're not first, you're last. Jesus said if you want to be first, you choose to be last. And you choose to sacrifice to those around you. Another thing that we must sacrifice is time. As I was looking further into this, I'll be the first to admit, there have been so many times that people from my job have called me, especially people I didn't really want to talk to, and I see it and I just say, "Mm, silent. I sent them straight to voicemail. Sometimes I didn't even listen to their voicemail. And I'm saying that because 
that's just me being vulnerable and saying, like, I hate giving up my time. And so when I was writing this, I, I didn't even want to talk about it. But for sure, if you're going to be a person of positive influence, you've got to give up that time for other people. And I think we will sacrifice our time and when the need arises because we've got to protect the relationship. I think if you're married and your husband comes to you and you're like, sorry, I don't have time for you, voicemail. Um, it's not really protecting your relationship with them. And so thinking about that in the way that you're influencing other people is sacrificing the time. And that's really different than what our culture tells us today. Our culture today says schedule everything and you take what time you need. So we're making appointments and meetings and calls well advanced to get the time that we need. But as Christians, we have to be flexible with our resources. And that means we have to step out of the norm because if you think about it, Jesus gave himself so freely for us, we should be able to do that same thing for people. And lastly, you must give up your right for everything to be okay. You have to be comfortable with conflict in relationships as people of influence, and you have to handle issues quickly. Jesus asks us not to let the sun go down on our anger and tells us to keep short accounts. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I don't keep short accounts. I keep long ones because in the moment, I'm like, yes, it's totally fine. I'll let it slide. And then I go, and I'm like, and this happened. Oh, yeah, it's totally fine. It doesn't matter that you're late. They were late. And so then my accounts get very long, and it feels good to be up front and say, hey, you're totally fine. And on the side, be like, oh, yeah, I'm, in it. I'm watching you. So we've really got to make sure that we're not keeping the long accounts for people and that we're upfront with them because we're in a relationship with them. If you're influencing someone, you're in a relationship with them and you have to be quick to call it out and move past it. And John Maxwell says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And at Starbucks, we used to use that all the time. As someone who influences others, you can speak life even into the hardest conversations with people especially if they know you have your best interest or their best interest at hand. The third is selfless. You must be ready to work with your people in the trenches, whether that is your family, if that means you're moving to another apartment and you need all kinds of help, your coworkers, your church, or your friends. Selflessness looks like doing things that aren't part of our job description or what's expected of you. And that could mean that you go and sit through someone's surgery for nine hours. Or it might mean, as a boss, you go in and clean the toilet. You intentionally take steps in those moments, in those relationships, to be with people. Also, to be selfless, you have to be willing to admit mistakes. Tyler Reagan talks about in the um, book, The Life-Giving Leadership, that mistakes are scars. And he says mistakes are like getting wounded, but the scars tell the best stories of our lives. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, Jesus' scars serve as a really good reminder of his love and his sacrifice for us all. I think your scars will tell your story, and as you carry those, they're a reminder of where you've been and how far you've come. And the last behavior for being a person of positive influence or servant leadership is surrender. As someone with influence, you must surrender to Jesus' calling over your life. 
He says in Mark 8, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Choosing this way of living is never easy, and in fact, I think it's a choice that we have to make every day. I don't think it's just a prayer that we pray once in our life and then we hope for the best. Surrender comes with making a choice to prioritize Jesus daily. And somebody once said to me, if you don't choose the way you spend your time, somebody else will. The same thing that applies to that, if you prioritize God's plan for your life, if you have obstructions like pride or greed or ego as a priority, it will not allow you to influence others in a positive way. And in fact, others probably won't want to be around you at all. And a quick way to just take a pulse check in the morning of if you're prioritizing surrender to Jesus is starting your day by meeting God before you get out your checklist. And for a couple of us in this church, it's before you check your email because that's just what we do. It's just opening your time up to seek God and ask him, what does he have planned for your life today? I know for me, my days at work go a lot smoother when I take the time to see God in the morning. And sometimes I would find out that the checklist and the plans that I had for my life were real different from what he had planned for me that day. And his checklist was much better than mine. But remember, at the end of the day, no matter how cliche it is to say, God is in control. He's in control for you, for me, for your family, for your friends, for your coworkers. And we have to surrender our relationship with him. We have to surrender ourselves to our relationship with him. So this morning, as I call Jackie back up, I want us just to think about why this is important for us as believers to be in a posture of servant leadership. We're the example to the world, and we cannot claim to be Christians and then treat others poorly, especially when we are in positions of power. It's not the way that we are called to live, and it's not the way that Jesus lived. I want to ask you to think about some areas in your life that maybe you're leading or influencing where you could use more of a servant approach. Is there an area that God's been calling you to lead for a while, but you haven't accepted the call? Or did anything come to mind when we talked about the servant leadership as an approach to work? in relationships, in school, or even in your community? Is there an area in your life that you need to surrender to God so he can move through you into others? I want to ask you to think about one person or a group of people that you have influence over this morning. What would it look like if you or we use our influence to positively, positively impact at least one person, to shepherd this person just as Jesus has influenced us? What impact would it have on your relationships? What impact would it have on our community? And I want to ask you to practice this week with one person or a group of people. Taking a servant approach, giving up your time, giving up your ego, whatever it may be, the sacrifice that you have to give, or maybe it's that you just have to seek God every morning for your checklist so that he can lead through you in your day to other people. Maybe you want to write it down so that you can start planning for this. So as we go through our call to worship, I encourage you guys to just 
think about this and think about how much influence we have as believers and, and how the world is looking to us and what are they seeing?